Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. This is the podcast where we invite you to text your questions in about God, Christianity, the Bible, Jesus, comparative religion, spirituality, and how to make sense of it in life. We think that God wants us to be asking questions. We think that questions are actually the sign of a growing faith. This is a show where we're not afraid of doubts. We're not afraid of heresy. We're not afraid of the crazy questions you might be thinking, wondering about, or asking, maybe being challenged by, um, by people in your life or challenged by, by your own mind. Maybe you don't know where to ask your questions. Maybe you've been judged for asking your questions. Maybe you've been given answers to questions and they just haven't been satisfactory. Well, this is the podcast for you. We are here to field those questions live. You can text them in to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. If you're joining us online at 216 The Net, uh, thank you. Great to have us. Great to have you with us. And if you're joining us on Facebook, you can join us through the 216 The Net homepage or through the Fellowship of Faith homepage. Visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org for more information there. My name is David Gadini here in the studio today with Andrew Metcalf, with Steve Wells, with Kent Jones producing, and Steve, we've got a special guest here we today. We do. We got my good friend, Pastor Jerome Wamala, all the way here from 8,000 miles away from uh, from Uganda. So Jerome is a, a huge part of the Hope Center Uganda, which is a children's home there uh, that uh, we operate, and uh, we couldn't really do it without Jerome because he's got the insight to, to the local... Uh, Oh, I don't know. What do you what do you call them? The, the laws, the regulations, culture the, and custom, the ins right? and outs, yeah. the who to deal with, who not to deal with, how to protect us, really. Because when it comes down to it, as far as on the the U.S. side, we have a lot of donors that trust us with funds that are given to us, and so we want to make sure that we're being good stewards of that. And Jerome is a big part of of helping us navigate how that operates. Yeah, Jerome, fantastic having you here on the show today. Uh, fantastic having you here stateside. I've heard so much about you from Steve. And he, he raves on you. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I think he's got a poster of you on his wall at home, <laughs> the way he raves on you. But it, it's, it's a pleasure to finally meet you and uh, really eager to hear a lot about uh, just the African church and uh, the ministry that you're doing. But Steve, let's not take this for granted. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the Hope Center and yeah. the work that's going so, on there. Um, basically, the Hope Center is a, a place that uh, is for abused and abandoned children. So primarily right now, what we're dealing with is babies. And so... It's really nothing to see babies that are abandoned and uh, maybe laying on the pathway and maybe some of our workers come across the baby and they'll bring it in. Or maybe the social worker or the police will bring babies to the Hope Center as well because there's no place for them to go. Mm -hmm. So as Drum and I were discussing, you know, there's there's not a middle class in Uganda. And so there's either the extreme wealthy or the extreme poverty. And unfortunately, um, what do you do with uh, if you have an education or you don't have an education and there's no job opportunities for you, what do you do? And at the same time, the government brings in uh, outside uh, resources to, like, for instance, construction or building of roads. So instead of hiring natives to do that, they bring in, let's say, China, for instance. And China will bring in their own crew and they'll lay down all the roads. Well, good for them, I guess, but they're getting a, a cut of that. And so what happens, unfortunately, is that the Ugandan workers that could have done that are not getting funds to support family and, and send their kids to school mm -hmm. and whatnot. So it really is a tough place to operate. And, um, you know, we're not there to solve all the problems. We're there to do what we can. And mm -hmm. so um, not a huge operation. If we had more funds, we would grow it, but still wouldn't wouldn't change the problem. Um, but we're not here to solve the issue. We're here to care and love for the kids. So 
Um, that's all we can do at this point. And, and Jerome is, is, has his own church there. So he's got, uh, in Kampala, which is about an hour away from the Hope Center. And, uh, so we always enjoy once when we do visit going to a church service. In fact, <laughs> yeah. we were listening to, uh, the choir at his, at his church, uh, sing last night on video and watching people dance and, and, uh, a good friend of ours that Andrew knows, Chris Beaner, watching him dance awkwardly because yeah. the guy has no rhythm. <laughs> and so to watch him be out of his comfort zone and dancing was hilarious. So, uh, no, it's just, it's good to have a, another brother, uh, in Christ all the way here from Africa and, uh, from Uganda spe- specifically. And, and to know that this is, uh, this is God, God's world. And so it always amazes me of, of how little people do to get out of their little, their little comfort zone mm-hmm. and really to go explore, to see who else is out there. What are the, what's their culture? And just, it's been fascinating just having conversations with Jerome on mm-hmm. the social side of things here in, in the country and how different it is and things that he can't believe, you know, that are happening here and things that I can't believe that are happening there and, and whatnot. So, uh, to learn and to listen and, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it's great having you here. Thank you so much. Yeah. You can tell Drum's a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's only 300,000 uh, people. Yeah, you know, it's, it's only 300,000 people. So, <laughs> Well, it's amazing to be here. It's my first time, I think, in studio. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy to be here uh, uh, to experience some new things uh, uh, over and against our culture in Uganda. I'm happy for the work of Hope Center. You're really doing a tremendous work. One of the things I've realized is that uh, we, we do think uh, uh, it's easy to pick dollars and bring it to Uganda. But I get to know that it takes uh, faith, it takes people who are committed to save and send for the children who are dying, who, are, who would otherwise not have survived. Yeah. So I'm happy for this and uh, I think I'm learning a lot. Yeah. 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 Thank you for visiting us. And uh, um, I hope you'll come more and more to share the love of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jerome, I am just so fascinated to hear about your ministry, about life in Kampala. We do have people that are listening globally on this show, but most are from the United States, have never been to Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, And at best, maybe just see documentaries or hear stories or, 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 or see clips in movies or something like that. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about life in Kampala and from your limited time and experience in the States, maybe how it compares? Well, I do think um, uh, you, you, life here is much more comfortable. Uh, we're living in uncertainty. You wake up early in the morning, you never know how you'll end the day. Mm. Probably how, whether you'll feed or not or whether you ever get home uh, without broken your leg. Mm-hmm. So it's different, just quite different. Um, here, uh, where the standard of living is high, uh, we are able to live uh, lowly but easily. And it looks like here you have some kind of, uh, I call it what, um, you have to compete to, to work harder be able to, to, to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's the difference I can see. But I'm also um, um, happy for, especially for the church, uh, the Lutheran church particularly. 
when it comes to issues of faith, I think Lutheran churches uh, uh, does well with biblical doctrine, biblical teachings, mm. far close to what the Bible teaches, not what, you know, I do believe and, you know, what's my traditional culture or whatever, most speak to the word of God. So we're happy to be part of uh, Lutheran church and the church is growing. And, uh, um, well, life in Kampala could be uh, tough, tough, uh, but we survive anyway. Mm-hmm. As, as part of our living. As part mm-hmm. of our, mm. Yeah. And one thing that I'm always amazed by too is, you know, we have our standard of living here. And I think for most Americans, if they went to stay with Jerome, for instance, they would say probably they'd be amazed at how much joy there is just in the, in the culture there with not having a lot of the material stuff where we think that's where our, maybe our happiness comes from. They don't have that. And so, but just the, ex, the experience of, of, of family and friends and just the community, there's so much joy there, you know? And, and so you have to ask yourself, where does that joy come from? Well, uh, the majority of Ugandans are Christian people and they have to put their, their faith in, in God in order for survival. And so to me, that's where it's like, yeah, we can both learn from each other, but I think as Americans, that's, that's where the number one thing that we could learn from their culture mm. is not to be always comparative uh, as far as what we have. And I was explaining to Jerome today that the concept of keeping up with the Johnsons, you know, where, well, my neighbor has this, so I've got to have this, you know, and I think we get caught up in that a lot, you know, so. Um, you know, we have like seven or eight Johnson families at Fellowship of Faith. I'm, I'm curious, which <laughs> thought, ones are you going to keep? I thought it was keeping up with the Joneses. Joneses, Johnsons, well, we Joneses. Got, we got oh, Jones well, there's right Ken Jones. The studio, so, I mean, we got a lot that of man has here. everything. <laughs> I want what he has. <laughs> I want your haircut, Ken. I think it's important for you to to appreciate what you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, I don't know if lots of people complain about this and this, but I think if you talk in terms of having less, then we should be complaining more. Right. Yeah. Right. So now, Jerome, if you would. Tell us a little bit about the ministry that you're doing. You're a pastor of a church in yes. Kampala, correct? Yes. Um, what is your ministry like? What, what, what's the work that you're doing? I am uh, a pastor of Evangelical Ebenezer Evangelical Lutheran Church, typically doing uh, day-to-day parish work. Okay. Preach on Sunday, do Bible study, visit uh, homes, uh, bury the dead, baptize, uh, lead confirmation class, you know. It sounds uh, a lot like yeah. pastoral work here, oh, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the work I do. And more so, um, we have got lots of uh, Lutheran pastors who actually uh, didn't have good training, and so they became part of uh, our congregation. So I do some kind of mentoring for these pastors, helping them to you know, get to know who who exactly is the Lutheran. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my work, my daily work. So I do visit up to uh, congregations, uh, preach, assess, see what is going on, share. You know, uh, I don't know whether I would say advice, but we study together. We share mm-hmm. the word of God. We share the 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 Lutherans' conf- confessions, and this is who we are as Lutherans. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's basically what I do as, as a pastor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And, you know, from what I hear, the, the Lutheran church, well, well, Christianity, from what I hear, is growing 
um, by leaps and bounds in Africa, but, but even Lutheranism um, is growing to the point that there are more African Lutherans than North American Lutherans um, from the latest stat that mm-hmm. I've seen. And, and I don't think many people think of Lutheranism as an African denomination, so to speak, which of course is not the case. It, it totally is. How did you become Lutheran or find yourself in the Lutheran church or the Lutheran faith? Well, I was um, an Anglican before, so I became Lutheran that, uh, um, as an adult. Okay. And uh, there was a missionary uh, from Ghana. He visited Kampala and he was uh, from Ghana and he, uh, he was already a missionary. So he wanted to start the church, Lutheran church in, in, in East Africa, in, in, in Uganda. Uh, so I get in touch with, with him. I think we bumped in one day on the street and he mm. said, hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Hey, who are you? He said, I'm from Ghana, I'm a Lutheran pastor, evangelist here. Say, have you heard about Lutheran? I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and so finally he invited me to, uh, to, to, have, uh, to attend the worship service uh, with them. And uh, I, I became fascinated with Lutheran church. I, I do think there was a, the catch point was the Luther's Smurokatixim. What was it about his catechism, Luther's catechism? I, I was invited to a Bible study right after service. They would teach the Luther's moral catechism mm. as a part of Bible study. Who is God? Who is, what is Christianity? And all these are things. So it's like uh, the, Luther, the, the Luther's catechism um, pulled my attention to some of life questions about Christianity. I didn't know or understand, so it answered those. So I got attracted and, and sat in uh, church, Bible class, and uh, well, I thought, I think this is a place to stay. And that's how I became you know, a Lutheran. Yeah, if okay. you ever yeah. visit yeah. Uh, Jerome's house in Kampala, you'll, kn- you'll know which one it is because he's got a statue of Martin Luther in his front yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The two yeah. arm in yeah. arm, right? Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think here but where I, we take the Lutheran catechism so much for granted so many lutheran churches are begging and pleading for people to read it or look at it and it's yeah. it's wildly kind of just resisted because it feels like an assignment and yeah. here you are feasting no it is a treasure it is a treasure in the lutheran church and uh, basically the the south of uganda we have got tanzania mm-hmm. which was basically colonized by german okay and so the lutheran church grew much more better and I think in Africa, it could be ranked the second mm. with the largest number, about 4 million Lutherans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, I think, is Ethiopia, Makani mm-hmm. Yesu. Mm-hmm. So I do think uh, Lutheran Church is growing. So we, are, we, we feel like, we, oh, how is the Lutheran Church? It has been uh, established down in Tanzania, growing, but we didn't know. But um, I know we get to know about the Lutheran Church. Uh, it's a... Uh, confession stand and uh, versus the Bible, and then we we say, I think this is this is a good church too. And I'm glad okay. to hear that yeah. too, because as you know, Jerome, prosperity gospel is big in you in Uganda, yeah. where you know, for people that don't have a lot of material things or are suffering because they don't have certain things or can't afford to eat or whatever, the prosperity gospel says, well, if you just do this, you'll have everything that you need. 
And so it's a, it's a trap, you know, it's, it's Satan. And, and you can see the seductiveness of it too, especially in, you know, underprivileged, under-resourced, impoverished areas. I mean, given some of what you said about a lack of a middle class, I, I've seen the same thing in India yeah. where the prosperity gospel has such appeal mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you have nothing and you're desperately looking for something, yeah. it's yeah. the low hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think to the advantage disadvantage of the communi- of the population, the preachers of the you know um, uh, prosperity gospel do take advantage of the of the uh, the situation. The, the situation. Yeah, and that's and what's they hard. Just poor resources, yeah. and they get richer and richer and richer because they say if you do this, if you give this, God will give this. So it's it's kind of a give and take mm-hmm. gospel, which I, I do think uh, when it comes to the Lutheran Church, you get settled mm-hmm. that everything works for the good of those who love who love Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we love to get content, and we know this is what God says. It does not promise that if you are if you get saved, everything's going to all of a sudden turn. <laughs> Come perfect. So there are situations that you have to carry on as a as a Christian. I think carrying our own cross. Mm-hmm. So I think um, versus um, uh, the other denomination, the the prosperity preachers are doing much damage mm-hmm. to to people mm-hmm. as regards faith is concerned. Because mm-hmm. I think it takes yeah, yeah. it takes their situation and goes, it just says this is your fault. Because you don't have enough faith, or you oh, don't yeah. you don't believe well yeah. enough. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. why you're yeah. in this yeah. situation. Yeah. So it just, I mean, it puts all that blame back on you. Like, mm. well, I just, I must not be believing well enough or giving well enough, rather than just going, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take your blessings as they come. Right. But it's not up to me to like make those happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it takes those people back to say, how much can I do? To mm-hmm. be forgiven and or to to earn this, right? Paul takes you back to to, to to they direct these people to work hard. Maybe God will hear and answer your prayers. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Which we're not immune to that in mm-hmm. the United States either. You no. know, we see so much of the prosperity gospel here too, and and how easily, well, look at certain churches that are all about prosperity gospel and look at the size of them. You know, so but I think that front door is probably huge. The back door is probably even bigger. You know, but it's cyclical because people are just looking for something. And what's hard with the back door too is the disillusionment that mm-hmm. goes with the back door. Right. It's not like you leave on the same way that you come right. in. Often you leave with a certain hurt. jaded or hearted or hurt or yep. wounded or, or despair. Yeah, for that matter. And then it it you don't go seek other churches because you didn't realize well maybe this was wrong or maybe mm-hmm. that's just the way the church is. You just mm-hmm. think oh yeah church isn't for me right yeah right because that's, that's why I think people use that whole you know well I'm. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, you know, but, you know, I don't need a family of believers to be around, you know, I don't need that fellowship. I, I, well, of course you do. I mean, God called us to that, you know, you just need to find a healthy church that, that is, that is theologically correct. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I do think we are called to fellowship. As Paul says, I think first Colossians 1, 9 says we are called to fellowship together as, as believers, body of Christ. Well, it's funny yeah. that you say that because aren't we going through that exact same thing right now? <laughs> so I can't wait to hear your 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 thought process on Dave's message on Sunday. So we got to pick it apart, Dave. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tear it apart. You know what I'm also, I'm looking forward to this too, Jerome. It's like, we've been trying to get our people to dance for the longest time. We've got like these five little girls that'll dance to the songs, like right in the front row. And the rest like just sits there and smiles broadly for the most, for the most part. And uh, if the African church likes to dance, you got to teach us how to dance and worship this coming Sunday. All right. (laughs) But it's hard because what I know, and you guys, I've mentioned this before is here in the States, we clap on two and four. One, two, three, four. In Uganda, it's one, two, three, four. So it's on the opposite. Mm-hmm. At some point, I just give up and go one, two, three, yeah, exactly. four. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> just hit. Just hit all the beats. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't go wrong here. <laughs> Keep it driving forward. Right. 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 I do think Africans we we feel the rhythm of music. Mm-hmm. Even when you are back at home at a fireplace evening, all what was done was to sing and dance. So we would feel robbed of that when we come to church. It feel like it comes in. Yeah. Well, because Indrome and I were talking about this too, as far as worship music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how we, there's a lot of people who still just get hung up on whether what's the right way and what's the wrong way. And whether or not, well, that's not appropriate for church. And because we've been to Uganda and we see, well, they're doing a different style of music than we are. Well, in the Bible, it doesn't say what form of music is correct or not. And of course, Jerome and I were saying Jesus didn't carry around an organ with him, you know, when he was going around and, and, and preaching and whatnot. And so it really comes down to what's your intent and is it joy in the Lord? You know, are you are you making a joyful noise? And really, that's what it's about. And, and in terms of response, I think something that so many of us can learn from the African church is simply how, how to get out of our own headspace and out of our own way yeah. to just respond to God openly. I, I think a lot of people are moved where they do want to sing and dance, but they're afraid to. They're yeah. inhibited. They're, 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 they're afraid of motion or expression or being looked at or, or, you know, whatever other things come in instead of giving it as an offering to God Mm -hmm. and just allowing God to kind of meet them in that place and them to give this, this wonderful expression as opposed to all the head games that come in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jerome, fantastic. Fantastic having you here. I do think once it is done, that flows out of uh, uh, faith, I say. Yes. Fruit of faith. Yes. I mean, when you are happy, you you laugh. Yeah. They don't have to tell you it's now. But once you are happy, you, you just laugh. So when we are happy with what God has done, we feel like, you know, clap our hands, dance for joy. Mm-hmm. I do think if the motive <coughs> is to praise God, then dancing and playing music is not evil. Mm-hmm. So we dance, so mm-hmm. we sing, so we clap our hands. Maybe if uh, if we, we do it as a part of a work to you know, praise God and Him uh, 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 favor, that would be dangerous for our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Jerome, for your input. So do we want to move on to some questions? Yeah, I think we got some stuff in the inbox here. Yeah, Why don't we feel you? Do you want to give a, uh, a shout out to the presentation we have tonight? I think that'll flow well into 
some questions. Yeah, you know, and this is going to be kind of an interesting um, shout out to give, but tonight at Fellowship of Faith, 6 p.m. Central Time, visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org if you're unfamiliar with the church. But tonight at 6 p.m., we've got a presentation from Andrew Das, who's been on the show before, talking about Bible translations. Andrew Das is a, a professor, a New Testament scholar, um, an author, and has overseen about 80% of the work of translation in the Christian Standard Bible, or the CSB, formerly the Holmes Christian Standard Bible, but in the latest iteration, they dropped the H, because why restrict it to just Holmes, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but anyway, I, this is a guy who's kind of like, you know, you know, thick in the woods, if you will, of, of the issues of Bible translation and how Bible translations come about. And he's going to be walking us through tonight just comparisons of different translations, the mindset behind it, things to look for, questions to ask. But it's difficult because he's not going to be able to live stream it or record it due to the use of some material that's proprietary. He's just a little up, like, I'm not so sure I want to put that on the live, you know, in recording, it might violate some things, but in a live educational presentation, it's totally fine. So for a lot of our listeners, I'm sorry, we'll try to extract from that and bring highlights. But if you are in the Northwest Chicago area or Southeast Wisconsin area, come visit us at Fellowship of Faith in McHenry, Illinois, um, 6120 Mason Hill Road in McHenry, but easy enough, just visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org and you'll get the directions right there dinner at five it's all free and uh of course the seminar is coming at six so yeah yeah some good stuff coming our way yeah and we've had a couple here about specifically about bible translations um so while having multiple translations of the bible can be incredibly helpful can it also be dangerous because it allows us to manipulate scripture to say what we want rather than what was intended by using multiple different translations uh how do we avoid falling into that pattern um, or is that simply unavoidable Unavoidable because most Christians don't take the time to learn and read the text in their original languages, or they don't have the time to? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. And, you know, you're not the first person to get hung up on the question of why are there so many translations and which one should I be using? And sadly, it sometimes leads people to a certain sense of paralysis. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but where they almost start with the metaphysical question of which one should I be using? And because they don't know and don't have the expertise to really evaluate that, they don't read it at all. The reality is, and I'll speak in the English-speaking world, the reality is just about any single translation that's put out by a publisher that you've heard of and probably haven't heard of um, are solid translations. It's best to just pick one and start and pick one that operates along the lines of your readability. So sample it online. Go to BibleGateway.org, for example, and you'll have access to maybe 40 or 50 Bible translations right there. Just pick one and see if, if it works for you. And if it doesn't, try another one until you find one that is readable and understandable and just go with it. Now, to the question can it be dangerous because it allows us to manipulate scripture to say what we want rather than what it was intended? Well, it could be if we're seeking out translations to try to find a platform to get God's word to validate what we want it to say. Mm. But the reality is most translations, 99% of translations you're going to find that are published are done by committees of people with this in mind 
with a very critical eye to avoiding this altogether. So it doesn't become sectarian to a certain denomination or even a certain person's personal agenda or, or interpretive trajectory, if you will. And so most of them are very self-correcting in that and avoid that very issue that you might be afraid of. But the simple solution to avoiding any kind of fear is use multiple translations. Yeah. Compare something you're reading in two or three or even four. Yeah. And with, with free Bible apps, this is the easiest thing to do in the world. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people miss or are not quite understanding the, the term translation. It's not changing the meaning of words. It's simply changing what word you're using to get the same point across. And often right? what happens, like like take the, the CSB from the HCSB or the 2011 NIV from the 1984 NIV. The reason for the changes is not so much because of new discoveries in the text. It's because the spoken language, the native language is evolving, right. meaning our native language. Right. Our English usage of terms today in 2022 is different than the standard English usage of terms in 1978 when the NIV really made its first major premiere, or 84, right. and its first major revision. And so they realize how people were interpreting a statement incorrectly and then circle back around to try to kind of shore up yeah. that mistaken notion or unintentional consequence of the wording that that's, well, it's ubiquitous in all communication. Everything can mm -hmm. be misinterpreted. So how do we listen here and then adjust? Right. Right. And there's even like, well, as when we go spend time in Uganda with Jerome, I mean, there's certain words that, that are the exact same word spelling and all, but mean different things sometimes, or are are used in different ways. And so I would imagine that's part of it, you know, cause Jerome, I don't know what, what, what Bible do you, do you preach from? Or when you study, what are you? What are I you? use uh, NIV. NIV. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And are you? A, and may I ask, are you a native English speaker, or is that a second language for oh, you? No, English is my second language. So that's why at sometimes I may lack uh, vocabulary to express. But if mm -hmm. I was doing my native language, then it's four. Uh, what is your native language? I'm sorry. One more time. Luganda. It is just Uganda. Luganda. Just Uganda. Luganda. Luganda. With an L, Lugandan. Yeah, Lugandan is the native language. Okay. And uh, I know that there are Bible translations in so many languages. Does Lugandan have a good, solid Old and New Testament? Or have you found that you had to go to other languages to find that? Well, I do think uh, for the Luganda translation, is it's not so bad. Okay. Translated by the... Uh, Bible Society. Oh, so solid footing. So, so yeah. good. Um, but I love the NIV translation, especially the edition that is was done by Concordia, mm. which I trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy that. The, the good news, if you bumped into a good news from the Bible Society in Uganda, it's not as much as uh, NIV. The the Catholic were contributors of that, and so there are things that are mm, 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 a bit twisted. Okay, according to their to their belief as Catholics. So okay. so NIV King James are more specific to the text. Okay, and probably what it's me who can tell the difference because I've studied some Greek and Hebrew. 
but I think to a, an ordinary person, he will not. I would love to hear yeah. you read from the King James. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that. <laughs> well, King James, it has, I think, two versions. There's thy, thou, but uh -huh. there's the, the, I think, the simplified one. The new yeah. King yeah. James, King yeah. Uh, new King yeah. James, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which helps, which definitely yeah. helps. Hey, we're at the top of the hour. Let me just take a station break here really quick. You're listening to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Joining us here through your favorite podcast provider or maybe on 216 The Net, you can text your questions in to 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. Any questions you might have for Jerome, the African or Ugandan church, Bible translations, or really anything else on the, the subject of God, spirituality, the Bible, Christianity, you name it. If you're joining us on Facebook at 216 The Net or through Fellowship of Faith, you can post your questions right there. We go live every Wednesday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. But if you've missed past episodes, make sure to catch them on your favorite podcast provider. Which favorite podcast provider? Are you Spotify or are you an Apple guy? I'm Apple. You're Apple? Yeah. You're Apple, aren't you, Andrew? Well, I use Apple Computer, but I use... Spotify for all like podcasts and music. Stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Never I tend to be Spotify, Spotify as well. What? Hmm. All right. Well, you know, today, maybe we'll change try that. Let oh, me yeah. try that. I yeah. doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> creature of habit. Jerome, you a big podcast guy? Do you <laughs> listen to podcasts much? No, no, not at all. All right. Yeah. Keep it off the grid. <laughs> is, uh, is data and bandwidth easy enough to get in Kampala? Uh, it's expensive. To it is expensive. You can okay. It's expensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So every second of listening online, oh, yeah. right, is is going to hurt you. That's why I, I was telling him about this the show, and I said, "Oh, you can go back and no, you can't. You can't listen to this because you're not going to want. Well, you could, but at the same time, it's going to cost you money. Yeah, it's it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll have to we'll have to figure out some ways. I even thought about right now media. You know, mm -hmm. like that'd be a great resource for him and his congregation. They would have access to it, but at the same time, they're going to be charged for it. Right. Know? So, right. Yeah. It's, right. It's the major complaint that if if data could go down, so mm -hmm. people could access um, 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 information or you know, online. Yeah. But I do think the the, the government intentionally lists the data expensive because they don't want people to go to media and you know, they misuse social media. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's the a way to keep them. So we do things. Some social control. Yeah, it's a kind of po political issue. They're silencing yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what yeah, else we got I've in the inbox today? Here. Uh, I think we talked about this when Dr. Doss was here actually, but it might've been someone else. I don't remember. Um, Steve. This is about. Who's Steve? Di <laughs> divorce and remarriage. <laughs> Uh, it seems the subject of divorce and remarriage is one many struggle with in the church, especially pastors. Uh, Jesus is so clear. Paul has some allowances. Do you think that 1 Corinthians 7 gives license beyond abandonment? Um, the principle of pastoral wisdom as opposed to fundamentalist reading. Yeah, so it sounds like the issue at play here is really under what circumstances is it permissible in God's eyes mm -hmm. to get a divorce? And to, to fill out some of what the question is alluding to, Jesus really doesn't seem to give much allowance, if any allowance. You can read Jesus speaking on divorce in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three Gospels there. And um, in, in some of them, I believe like Mark, for example, and I might be switching this in my mind, but let's just go with it. I believe in Mark, 
Jesus basically comes out and says that if you divorce your wife and marry another, you're committing adultery. Now, I believe in Matthew it is where there's a little bit more allowance given by Jesus, where he says, except for, and I'll give the Greek term, porneia. And it doesn't really take a lot of imagination to figure out how to translate porneia. Sexual immorality, basically, where we get our word from pornography from. Now, he's not talking about pornography per se and specifically, but, but just the wide gamut of sexual immorality would somehow break or, or, or so substantially violate the marriage covenant that Jesus gives allowance or license in that situation to divorce as well. What's really interesting is that when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, referring to Jesus. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay, pretty in line, right? But then in verse 12, he writes, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So Paul's going, no, I'm going to kind of add my two cents to this, and I want you to know that I did not get this from Jesus. This is me bringing my sense of theologizing and pastoral wisdom to the very real situation of divorce that we face in, in the world today and many of us faced in our own marriages. He says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and vice versa. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. And he goes on. But if the believer leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. The point of it being that Paul seems to give a greater license for divorce and remarriage than Jesus does. And so I think the million-dollar question that a lot of people who have been struggling in, 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 in very hard marriages, maybe toxic marriages, maybe abusive marriages, maybe who are divorced, maybe who have already remarried, is simply the question, is this okay? Mm -hmm. Can I do it? Where do I stand with God in whatever point of the spectrum I happen to be in? And there's a number of answers I have to give right now because of that spectrum and where people might be. To the question that was texted in, Paul seems to give a greater allowance than Jesus. Biblical allowance. Inspired of God allowance. Let's not pit Paul against Jesus. We can't expect Jesus to give every modicon of truth in every statement that he makes. And I think it would be deeply problematic to start looking at Paul and Jesus as conflicting theologies. No one knew Jesus better than Paul. And so let's see this revelation of the New Testament as something that we're to learn from in a whole rather than isolated pieces. But the question is, is what Paul gives just one more piece of allowance or does Paul give us a pattern? Meaning, if Paul can give an allowance in this situation, could it also be reasoned that there are 
allowances in other situations that neither Paul nor Jesus stated? And the basic answer to that question is virtually every single Christian of every single persuasion that you come across will answer that yes with a lot of caution. And I will give one example, abuse. Abuse is not mentioned by Jesus or by Paul as a reason for divorcing or remarrying. And yet you are going to be hard pressed, and I'll speak from a United States perspective, to find many pastors at any se- or, or theologians at any seminary, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at, that wouldn't give some kind of allowance for divorce and remarriage in very abusive situations. Now, we need to guard ourselves against therefore labeling everything as abuse, looking for an excuse. However, there does seem to be a practice among the most conservative of Christian communities giving allowance in that situation as well. Is that anti-biblical or is that following the pattern of Paul? Well, that's the million-dollar question, but I'm inclined it's following the pattern of Paul and understood by God. But all of this needs to be contextualized in what Jesus gets at at the beginning, going, our first recourse should not be looking for excuses to divorce. Our first recourse should be looking at how to reconcile and save our marriage in any given circumstance, even if we're divorced from that person, that doesn't seal it forever. How can we even reconcile, as Paul says, maybe with someone that we've been divorced from? Now, if you're remarried already, well, okay, you're committed to your second spouse. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you divorcing your your new spouse to go back to a former spouse. You need to honor that. And, and I can go into, the, into this so much more in depth and it has so much practical application um, that goes beyond what I would call these, these two-minute answers that we give on this show um, that I can speak into, but hopefully that at least sets up the pattern well enough. And maybe I'll leave it with one more point. There are some people who are in marriages that have become so horrible, so toxic, or, or whatever the case might be for whatever variety of reasons, that divorce is starting to look like the only hope. Anytime you're looking at something as the only hope other than God, be careful. But sometimes you do need to get out of a bad situation. The question I'd like to pose to couples is simply this. If you were to divorce this person, is that a better recourse with the caveat that you stay single for the rest of your life? Because if it's not, there needs to be some motive check. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this is kind of mile-high observations, but I think it's a good starting point to at least having to be able the to discussion and to be able to drill down. You yeah. got it. You yeah. got it. I would also <clears throat> say that Paul's words are in Scripture for a, re- for a reason. Yeah. So it's we take the Bible as the living, breathing word. And so, therefore, if if we were only to look at Jesus's words, well, then obviously Scripture would be only Jesus. Just take words. the red letters, and so therefore we have to entertain or think. There's a reason that Paul's writings are in there. Well, because of stuff like this, mm-hmm. and so I don't think that we're only to examine Jesus's words in in Scripture. We we have to take it as a whole because we can't pick and choose. Well, I believe this, and I don't believe Paul did this, or well, why is it in there then? 
Yeah. You know, yeah, it gets like, very, there's a reason it's very in there. shaky if you start yeah. parsing out your favorite pieces. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that brought up two questions for me. First is wondering if, if like abuse isn't addressed in scripture because in that historical time period, I, there, I feel like there wasn't really a, a concept of abuse because in, in a, like your marriage was viewed more as a property type thing in that time period, women didn't have rights really at all. So like, was that even a thing that they would even think to address? Cause it's just like, that's just how marriage is. No, no understood. And, and, and I, I, I get where you're coming from, but I think it's over assumed and a little overplayed because I think throughout human history, people know what it's like to be mistreated and to be hurt. You, you don't need a cultural standard or a legal norm to know I don't like this. You're being cruel. You're being violent. And of course, the most ancient laws and ancient codes, including the Old Testament biblical law, has all kinds of um, stipulations revolving um, physical or or other forms of abuse as well. And so I don't think it's because of a case that it wasn't understood. Throughout human history, there have been kind, gentle, and loving married relationships. And throughout human history, there have been violent, cruel, selfish, and abusive relationships. Nothing new under the sun that way. I think it's simply because with Jesus, of the nature of the question by which he is being posed with divorce and remarriage, which particularly comes down to childbearing, I think it comes to the nature of sexual violation in a marriage um, and, and how uh, the consummation um, of, of, of sex together is more or less the mechanism or function by which marriage is sealed and, and, and arguably the purpose for which it even exists. And, and so I think that's why Jesus drills down there, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus's point is not to give a legal code by which to allow us to parse out in court every reason, the court of God, every way that we're justifiable or not justifiable. And I think that's what most American Christians kind of fall victim to and want of just going, Lord, I want the legal code because I live in a legal system. Mm-hmm. So a relationship with you is nothing more than a law. Let me know what yeah. to do so I can get out with my life. And that, that kind of misses the boat completely. Yeah. And I would say too, that God's very clear in scripture of what it looks like for a man and woman to, who are married to how they should be treating each other, mm-hmm. you know, as far as submission and love and respect and, and even to go a step further outside of what you would traditionally think uh, a marriage between a man and woman, look at Christ in the church. That's, it, that's your definition of marriage. It's right the there. very metaphor that Paul uses in Ephesians five to describe what marriage should look right. like. You got it. Yeah. And to men, what does he say? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And when you start looking, not just at the death of Jesus, but the entire track record of Jesus and how he treated Mm -hmm. people, his followers, um, you know, you talk about uh, not just a moment of sacrifice, but a life of sacrifice and giving of turning the other cheek of patience and gentleness. And basically everything he says in the sermon on the Mount, he practices himself. Yeah. 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 Good question. Yeah. My other question that, which we kind of touched on as we were talking when Paul kind of gives that caveat of like, Hey, this is me talking. Is that, 
don't know. It made, made me think about what other what other points that Paul is writing is is this just him espousing his opinion versus the inspired word of God? And why and, would you separate his opinion from the inspired word of God? I'm just curious. I think it was just the way you kind of phrased it of just like, and now this is where Paul is breaking from this and going, Hey, this is what I think, not necessarily what Jesus said. Like I'm not quoting Jesus. I, I guess why, why put in Understood. that caveat if it's not I there? Yeah. Jerome, please. I, I do think Paul may, 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 may not be giving in his personal idea, but they asked, word statement from Jesus. And Paul Pro is giving the word of his inspiration from the Holy Spirit. I do think probably would not have admitted his opinion that is against the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So to say Paul is inspired by the Spirit, even though that is his thinking. His, mm-hmm. He gives his opinion. So Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I would add even one more thing that I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Paul just kind of like hold up in a corner somewhere, drawing on his own like inferences in study and previous teachers to develop his theology. Paul met Jesus face to face. And I think that we should operate better with an assumption that most early Christians who were receiving his letters assume that they were hearing the word of Jesus as much as they would hear it from James or Peter or any of the other apostles who spent three years, Jesus came to Paul, revealed himself to Paul, commissioned Paul. And of course the conduit, like you said, Andrew, through Paul. And so it seems that the caveat here that he gives in first Corinthians is, is almost to kind of catch them in their opposite assumption. They're just assuming that this is a word of the Lord. And they're like, okay, now wait a minute. Paul is saying, you know, I'm still teaching with the authority and wisdom of an apostle, but I just want to let you know that I'm not quoting Jesus on this one yeah. as I am in most other things that I'm saying to you and flushing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, so we've got another, another one about Paul while we're talking about him. The, the questions I have in our inbox are pretty lengthy right now. So <laughs> we, we've gotten the novellas. I love it. This, I got, yeah. Keep texting the novellas, right? Yeah. Was Paul no character count? <laughs> was Paul a Trinitarian? Uh, that I guess the main question, but they explain a little bit more. This entered my mind the more I read N.T. Wright books. Uh, did Paul think of G- of Jesus as being on the same level as Yahweh? Especially since Paul knew and so often quotes the Pentateuch and the Old Testament. So it seems that both, uh, or it seems that that N.T. Wright says Paul rethought monotheism in light of Jesus, placing Jesus on the same level as God. But both authors, there's two authors there, seem to agree that it doesn't make Paul a Trinitarian. Yeah, and I believe the other author is uh, uh, Michael Gorman. Gorman, yeah. Um, So, first question, was Paul a Trinitarian? Yes. Simple answer, yes. Paul teaches and understood and believes in some form or concept of what we have labeled with the term Trinity. I think where the person asking this question might be getting hiccuped a little bit is if you read um, N.T. Wright, he's very clear about this in most of his works. You could read like Paul and the Faithfulness of God, where he'll talk about like the three great syntheses of Judaism that Paul kind of reinterprets in light of Jesus, one being monotheism. 
Um, and, and Michael Gorman, of course, being one of his quote unquote disciples or, or another leading New Testament scholar as well, will, will say something similar. Here's what these authors and others are trying to avoid and what might be the hang up. They're trying to avoid what is called anachronistic language. And very simply put, anachronistic language is taking the meaning of a term today and importing it earlier on authors who didn't operate with that same understanding of the term. Let me give you a great example from my childhood. You guys grew up watching the Flintstones? Mm -hmm. Okay. Before your time, Andrew, (laughs) right? Did you have the Flintstones in Uganda? No, not at all, right? And, and that, no that's idea what you're thing. even talking about. Not even about. what I'm talking about. <laughs> Flintstones was a kid's cartoon. And the, it was, what, the 60s or something like that? Maybe even sure. earlier. It was based on the Honeymooners, which was more or less one of those black and white you know, sitcoms from the 50s, arguably, um, set in a prehistoric setting. And at the end, they had that little ditty you, you know, that they would um, sing. The, the theme song. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. They're a modern historic family or something like that. Yeah. Here's how great. it would end. You should watch it. <laughs> how did it end? We'll have a great time. We'll have a gay old time. Happy. Right? Gay meaning happy. Now, that is not the <clears throat> meaning of the term gay in American usage anymore. No one goes to happy anymore. It would be very incorrect to take our modern understanding of the word gay and import it back on the Flintstone song to say that, that what, that's what they meant. Paul teaches that God is one. Paul teaches that Jesus is God. But Paul also teaches that Jesus is not the Father. And the reason Paul teaches that is because that's what Jesus teaches and reveals and shows in himself. And for the next 400 years, Christians wrestled with that paradox, trying to figure out the implications and applications of the tension of those three revealed truths. And that developed into the modern teaching we have of the Trinity. That's what the term Trinity is seeking to coin. But the term Trinity now implies 400 years of the development of the thought of those three teachings. It would be incorrect to say that Paul necessarily nuances all of those teachings or taught all of those teachings or even had all of those in mind because that was the development beyond or on top of those teachings. But what Paul clearly upheld was those three points I mentioned earlier, which is the seedbed from which all Trinitarian thought comes. And when you're reading scholarly literature, they're just afraid of getting burned by other scholars by making those kinds of assumptions. But what they are not indicating in any way is that Paul would not be as we understand it or think about it, uh, you know, in layman's terms, Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. So yeah, hopefully that helps you kind of navigate that path there a little bit, especially if you're reading authors like these Mm -hmm. and I encourage them both great authors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can I give something? Yeah, yeah, I would love it. Probably it's a kind of a question about what Paul believed. It's kind of saying, did Paul believe in the scriptures? So if Paul was called and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he can't be anti-Trinitarian. Exactly. He has to be straight Trinitarian. Because the scriptures themselves reveal. He believed in the scriptures. He told that. 
And some hints of this that you see in the Old Testament that were Paul's scriptures is, is certainly, um, you know, the idea that there is one God, that God is one, prevails throughout the Old Testament. What's called the Great Shema, which is more or less the, 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 the battle cry or the, the Pledge of Allegiance or, or the, like, defining statement of Judaism in Deuteronomy 6.4 is, is, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And everything builds from there. So, so just one example. And yet, in the Old Testament, you see the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't understood as being part of God, a section of God. He's understood as being fully God. Yet simultaneously, the thought is not that God has vacated heaven. The thought is that God has not vacated his throne. So, so even there, while, shall we say, undeveloped in the way that the Christian tradition has gone on to develop it in light of Jesus and the clear revelation we have with someone physical and tangible, which kind of forces the issue more, you still see the seedbed of that multiple yet one kind of thought, which is what the Trinity is paradoxically trying to capture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the hardest, there, there's not a good uh, metaphor to understand it because it's not something that exists in, in our realm that we can tangibly see. Because there's a couple other questions here regarding the Trinity, so maybe we'll talk about that more <laughs> next week or in a future episode. But in, in these questions, they're trying to take different examples of like, okay, someone with multiple personalities. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't think right, right, right. it's three different people. It's one person yeah. who has three different trains of thought or different other combinations of that. Like, okay, well, together as a group, this makes up this thing, but independently they're this other thing. So I, I think there's a lot of people wrestling with that, I, that idea of how do you wrap your minds around it? And I mean, I think, I think it's good that they're wrestling with that. Absolutely. Well, and it's meant to be wrestled with and, and meditated upon. And yeah. if, you're, if you're Lutheran, what do you think Martin Luther did? He wrestled with all of this. Yeah. Which, again, what's the book that you gave me that I'm reading right now? The Commentary on James. Commentary on yeah, James. Yeah, put out by Concordia Press. So Concordia I've always Publishing House. wondered, Andrew, you're a, you're a long-term Lutheran. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered why long-term Lutherans have struggle with James. Like, mm-hmm. what is it about James that you just can't stomach? <laughs> well, guess what? You're the same as Luther. Luther couldn't stomach it either. As to go as far as saying... His writings were like straw. Yeah, that's his yeah his classic line. Realistically, what it was is he was jealous. He was so jealous of James that he had to go because then he knocks his writings, but then goes on to use most of his writings. Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, wait a minute here, buddy. Need to cut this guy down a little bit. (laughs) But he, but you just look. You made yourself look small, really small, Luther. Because I think what it was is you just wish that you would have been James so that you could have written it better that's the only thing you have on him you, you figure like luther wrote what 150 volumes you right. know i think if it's codified right. today and, and you know james is like six chapters right and it's right. like man just but i I, I relate yeah. so much to james because he could simplify things yeah instead of going on this long expository about this and it's like okay use your words you don't have to use all your words just use some of your words use to some get your of your words across. use less of your words oh, right so you're not always if I had more time i would have said less Paul. 
because Paul tends to uh, Paul repeat it's like, himself and ramble. Land the plane, bit. Paul. You know, like <laughs> we don't need all the descriptions. We get it by now. You know, which is why I love James because he's like, oh, no, you know what? Paul is cheering in the or yeah, Steve's cheering in the Jerusalem court for James, right? Yeah, I think uh, James was more realistic. Totally realistic. If you he say, was a realist. If you say you are a Christian, yep. Poof. Yep. Well, and well, what? Well, well, um, I, I think the the, the, the the conflict here is that James seems to contradict the issue of Works. grace. In grace. Yes. Grace alone. Yeah. But it's not. Mm-hmm. Just any existing faith, then. Uh, automatically produces fruits. Mm-hmm. And what we call that those fruits, they are works. works. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And so James, what a lot of people don't understand either is because Luther's big problem is that he mm-hmm. didn't reference Jesus's name all the time. Well, it's because he was with him, right? So he didn't believe until the resurrection. James was not a believer. What I think is cool about James is, is that, uh, He's in most of his writings, he's not talking to the unbeliever. So Mm. he's challenging the believer to say, look, if this is what you truly think you believe, then where's your fruit? What are you doing? Which I love because, yeah. I relate to that. And I think of well, Paul you're a in so the exact same are you thing doing? in first, Second Corinthians 13 going, examine yourself to see whether you were in the faith. Test yourself yes, yes. to make sure that you were in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, again pitting Jesus and Paul is dumb against each other. Pitting James and Paul against each other is equally dumb. They're, they're, I don't know if it gets, they were in this. To, yeah. It's, a one time, it's not a one-time thing. And I think they understood nah. that. That's why they discuss it. It's, this is going to be a constant thing that you should be doing throughout your faith life is, you know, checking yourself, questioning this going, okay, am I living how I should? Am I not? What am I believing? But you know what I think a lot of it is too. And why a lot of Lutherans can't stand James is because James is a mirror. And I think a lot of Lutherans hide behind grace. They just think, well, I can keep sinning because there's plenty of mercy and grace. Right. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, you can be forgiven for that. Then, then, but you can't just sit idly by and do nothing. Yes. You hide behind the grace of mirror, mm. the mirror of grace, right? and you sin. And, and James put it right in your mm-hmm. face. So that is a He's calling you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hit the end of the hour here today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if we didn't get to your questions, they are in the hopper. We've got more on the Trinity that have come in. And we'll pick up with that, some of the analogies next week and, and, and go in a little bit deeper. Um, you can text your questions in 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. We are live every Wednesday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. Hey, if you miss a show, catch us, on, uh, catch us on Spotify, catch us on Apple, catch us on um, you know, Facebook in the archive. Um, just go to questions you never thought you can ask in church or visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org and go to the FOF Plus page and you will get it all right there. Hey, we got to get out of here. We got to tune off. A pleasure having you on the show today, Jerome. Thank you Absolute so much. pleasure. Thank yes. you for joining us. God's blessings to you. Your work in Kampala and, and all our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, in Uganda. And Drum will be with us on Sunday. So, Even better. All yeah, right. 10 a.m. Central yep. Time. Yeah. Um, tune in as well. Yeah.